2: Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 92 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo, and I'm here with Alison Tate, otherwise known as A.L. Tate, correct?
0: Correct. A.L. Tate. It's like an alter ego. I yes. can talk about A.L. Tate like she's a whole other person. It's quite exciting.
2: And of course, A.L. Tate writes the Mapmaker Chronicles series, and among other things, I'm sure. She
0: does. She's yes, dear, she does. And uh, she's working on a new project as we speak, AL is? Is
2: AL allowed to tell us?
0: Well, I can't tell you much, but remember we talked about it last week and I said to you that I'd started, you know, insanely I'd begun this Project in the school holidays. Yes, and that I had I think about five thousand words when we spoke last yes. time, and I said that I was aiming to do another five uh, at least in the last in the you know before we spoke again. Yeah. Well, I'm very pleased to report that I'm uh, cr- I have cracked the fifteen thousand word mark. Oh
2: my god, you've done more than five. Well,
0: I had one of those moments, and I Natasha Lester, who is of course another writer Centre presenter and a, a fabulous novelist, and I were discussing this on social. Social media the other day, Mm -hmm. and uh, she said to me, "She's like, I can't believe you're even attempting this." And I said to her, "Well, you know, I'm having that moment where the story is hot inside you, and I know that sounds slightly weird, (laughs) but and it honestly it feels." slightly weird too, um, yeah. but it, it's just that thing and it's like trying to hold back the tide, like all you want to do is sit down and actually just get this thing out and stuff. And I was like that all the way up until Saturday afternoon when I actually had four hours to myself and I uh-huh. thought, great, you know, wow, I'm going to get this. So um, so I sat down on Saturday afternoon and I managed 500 words. Wow. which just, <laughs> Which just goes to prove my okay. theory uh-huh. that the more time you have, the less you write.
2: Yes, yes. <laughs> Wow.
0: So I'll just leave that with you. Anyway, yeah, fair so enough. how are you, Valerie? Enough. What have you been up to?
2: I'm good. I'm good. I've just been, you know, getting into the new year, getting into a routine again and trying to organize my life and my goals and all that kind of stuff. You know, just what you do in January. Yeah.
0: But let's move on, shall we, to <laughs> what you do in January. I just try to survive. But, you know, I'm glad you're all over it. Can you do my goals and my life plan? While I didn't doing?
2: say I succeeded yet. Yes, I didn't well. say that I've actually organized myself. I said I'm trying to. Oh, okay. Yeah. But a lot of interesting things happening in the world of writing and publishing and blogging this week. All and right. this week the rumors are flying fast that – Clio magazine is set to close, although this has yet to be confirmed officially by the publishers, Bauer Media. But according to a news report, a news court report, uh, yeah, the um, closure is imminent. And I think that's really a bit sad and a bit nostalgic because both of us used to work at Clio. We sat next to each other at Clio and that's where we first met. And uh, it's going right. to, it's potentially all going to come to an end. What are your thoughts on this?
0: Well, I was really saddened, you know, because it is a, you know, it's 44 years that, that since the magazine was founded by Ita Buttrose. And of yes. course it was a, you know, market leader for such a long time. And, mm. you know, it, it it had its own personality, and it was, you know, she was a, she was a thing, Cleo. Um, so to think of it coming to an end is very sad. But I think as a state, it, it just sort of reflects where magazines are at. You know, Cleo and Cosmo, um, uh, Bauer has obviously chosen to keep the international brand as opposed to the local, yeah. which I think is kind of, you know, sad in its own way. Yeah. Um, but I, I think it's, um, it's just very, very difficult. Um, for, for magazines out there at the moment. And if you don't have a solid point of difference, and a, like Frankie Magazine, for example, is a newer player in that same demographic, yep. but with a very, very distinctive personality. And I think part of the problem for Cleo is, is that sort of like, well, who is she now? What's happened? you know yeah. Do you agree with that? In a sense, I I don't necessarily think it's a reflection of
2: print magazines generally. I think it's a reflection of print publishers who haven't understood that they need to be beyond print and uh, yes. because Cleo is such a strong brand and there's mm. so many other things that Cleo could be doing in the digital space. And what did they do? They closed their digital presence like yeah. last year. Um, yeah. They could be doing events, they could be doing um, joint ventures and partnerships because it's such a strong brand. As you say, it's 44 years old, everyone knows what Clio is Mm. and so I think it's a – a reflection on the fact that certain print publishers just don't understand how to adapt and move their very valuable brand into uh, a space that's that's just beyond their print magazine. And but some digital, but I mean, but some publishers know how to do that. So it's. Um, It's a bit sad and I think it's a little bit of a concern that also the CEO of Bauer Media um, unexpectedly departed at the end Mm. of 2015 and, of course, Helen McCabe, who has been the editor-in-chief of the Women's Weekly for some years – Announced her departure last week as well, and so yeah, a little bit concerning about what's happening at Bauer Media. But I guess every business goes through a period of rationalisation. But I'm I'm clinging on to the to the idea that Cleo isn't closing, and maybe it's no. Just well, ordering. that's the thing because
0: Bauer, of course, has not confirmed the rumour at the yes. time that we're recording this, and um, in fact, you know, did tell. Uh, was it B&T, that there was no, you know, that there was absolutely no justification, no grounding for that rumour whatsoever. Yeah. Um, the thing that I find I think is really difficult with this kind of stuff where there's all this speculation is, of course, that there are people working at Clio who yes. are now wondering whether or not they're going to have a job next week. And I, I think, you know, it, that's a very, very difficult um position to be in as well so mm. anyway we shall have to wait um to see what the final yes. you know, word is on that but um if it's true uh, i'm sad you know yeah and I, I think just... it's a um which it was a I, I met some of the best people that i've ever worked with mm. when i worked at cleo you know through cleo and i've remained friends with a lot of those people for many many years and mm. um you know it was a terrific place to work uh, i worked there twice um once on the print publication, and then I was actually the online editor um, a couple of years later. So you know, I, I had two two different teams there at different. And it was a fantastic place to work. It's so creative and you know interesting. So, and everybody dressed like they were going to a cocktail party. Yes, very fun. (laughs) Everyone except me.
2: (laughs) And there was a lot of free makeup.
0: (laughs) Oh yeah, it was great. Like those were the days, weren't they? Anywho,
2: Anywho, moving on. Moving on to a similar story, uh, and we'll put all these links in the show notes. But uh, Penthouse is dropping their print magazines. Because, oh. you know, you can get all of those kinds of pictures online on the internet. And that's really what Penthouse's point of difference was for but many, many years. But
0: What about the articles? Remember? <laughs> I have to say, like I would say, um that there was Penthouse did have a stage there where they did run some fantastic articles. Like um my friend Mark Dappen used to work to write for them regularly and he is a fantastic journalist. And yes, he wrote fantastic. amazing stories. So they At one stage, there was a reason to read Penthouse, you know, for the articles, of course. Um, I haven't actually looked at one for a very long time, so I wouldn't know (laughs) if that was still the case. But clearly, like, where will the articles go? Oh, yeah, of course. Where will the articles go? Where will they go?
2: Not so many articles. I think that (laughs) uh, people often don't, because I used to work in a news agency, so I used to see how many Penthouses and Playboys would, you know, walk out the door, would would get sold, and who bought them, (laughs) which was interesting and also interesting who stole them Oh, <laughs> yeah because they were too embarrassed to buy them or too but um, i will say though having an educated study on it because i did work in a news agent uh playboy of definitely course. had way more intelligent articles penthouse only had a couple playboy yeah really? yeah there were way more pictures in penthouse than there
0: were in playboy Way see how, more. See, you've got all the all the inside <laughs> goss, haven't you? <laughs>
2: uh, but enough about Penthouse. Oh, really?
0: We could uh, talk about it all day, Val.
2: We could. Well, I have an interesting link and I um, called uh, Six Copy Editing Mistakes to Avoid in Your Content. And, I mean, you, you don't just avoid it in your content. You avoid it in your writing. You avoid it in, your, in anything that you do. Mm. And I'm not going to go through uh, all six but I wanted to mention a couple because I see people be guilty of this a lot. And one is sentences that go on and on and on and on and on. And, you know, like it's, it's practically the size of two paragraphs and it's still one single sentence. So I think mm. that's one E it's such an easy fix that people should just reread their stuff. And if their sentences are too long, break them up. Um, but the other one that I think is very, very that – that is big is um, when people are not specific. This goes for fiction. This goes mm. for nonfiction. This goes for whatever. Like when you say Maria has had lots of jobs. Well, what is lots of jobs? Mm. You know, it's Maria has had 63 jobs in the last four years that's specific yep. and it, it, or when you say um, the crowd was massive that's not very help, helpful. no so I think it's really important to be specific where you can because it really paints a picture. What mm. are your peeves?
0: Um, well, I think my problems. Uh, well, I have so a couple of issues. Inconsistency is one of them and it's the number one thing that they mention in this. Um, if you are going to – like, for example, they give the example that if you are going to call a person um, – so you call them John. You always mention someone by their entire name to start yes. with if you're writing a story. Like, that's something yes. that I, 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 a lot of people – don't do that. If you're They'll writing a non-fiction them, story, if you're calling, yeah, if you're writing a feature story, yeah. um, so let's say he's John Doe, yeah. um, then you choose whether you're going to call him John or Doe for the rest of the story. Yes. Um, you can't switch around between the two, and you take your um, guidance as to what the magazine does for that. So if you're if you're sending a, submitting a story to a magazine, have a look to see whether they yeah. uh, whether people are referred to by their first name or their last name throughout the story, mm. and do that. Because that's it's a, it's a point of style, and it shows that you're actually familiar with what the magazine does, which is always a good thing. Um, so yeah, you ch- need to choose one. But I one of the things I notice when I do copy edit my own work, and now I'm talking about writing fiction, mm. is. Um, I will sometimes get a little bit lost with the he's and she's Mm. um, in the sense that I will be like, for example, let's say I was talking about Quinn in the map makers. Mm -hmm. I would say, you know, Quinn got out of bed. He did this. He did that. He did whatever. He blah, 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 blah. And it's like a whole paragraph of he's. And then you sort of think actually – Somewhere along the way, I need to ground the reader back into who yes. I'm talking about. Yes. So then it's time to like throw another Quinn in there just to yep. keep people on track. And even if you're only writing the scene from one person's perspective and they're, they're the only person in the scene, just throw a name in there occasionally yes. so that to people, remind people know where they are. Exactly. Yep. So, um, and that's something that I. I've got a lot better at over the years of writing, you know, lots of different manuscripts. But Mm. when I look back at sort of the first stuff I used to write, I was like she, 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 she all the Mm. time. And it's, you know, it's actually really annoying. Yeah, yeah. Well,
2: yeah, you need those anchors, don't you? Yeah, you do. Um, you really do. I tell you when it's very hard though. I faced this just a couple of weeks ago. I was writing a feature story for a Glossy magazine and it was about fam- – well, among other things, it oh, was about families. family businesses. Yeah. So they're, they're, the great-grandfather was called Charles Parsons.
0: The grandfather was called Charles Parsons. The <gasps> father was
2: called Charles Parsons. Jeez, that, that's
0: awkward. That's a, but that's <laughs> a very unusual situation because normally you might have a, a father and son, or something, but you would just call them by their first names because they would be different. Everyone's yes. called the same.
2: <laughs> yes, well, oh, they had the different middle names. Well, I had to get a little bit clever about it and to really make sure that the reader understood who I was talking about. So, you know, it, it, it's you're right though. Sometimes it can be, um, it, it, it it it's just father and son. But I had another family business I was writing around about where the father was Nicholas Paspale. and the son was Nick Paspale but the, the next one was James but then his cousin was Nick As well. So all very, very confusing. You have to write very carefully when you do something. Perhaps the
0: tip is not to write stories about About things. I know. (laughs) That's right. Take note to self, right? (laughs) Exactly, exactly.
2: Let's move on to a similar um, post which I really like. It's on the Grammarly blog and it's five verb mistakes you should stop making today. And these have got some that really annoy me um and let me know if they annoy you too but sometimes you hear people say oh yeah i seen star wars last week
0: mm.
2: <laughs> and it's i've i saw star wars last week or i've seen that i have seen the movie mm. um and the, another one that uh, people often say is yeah he he come up to the shop and and bought a milkshake <laughs> You no, know, he didn't. He came
0: up to the show. I'm just finding it fascinating <laughs> that you're saying, as you're saying these words, you're actually, there's like a distinct accent that you are throwing. <laughs> there's a flattening of vowels, Valerie, that I just want to point out to you. <laughs> I did, I don't mean to. <laughs> I think, look, I think the most constant one that I see, and this is written as well as spoken, is I would of." Oh. I would have. And oh, I think t- that that's, that's something that, you know, it has crept very much into yes. general usage um, yes. and I think it's just one of those ones because, you know, if you say I would have, it, it sounds, um, it does actually sound like I would have, not mm. I would have. Mm. So I think it's one of those things that, you know, over the years people just hear it and assume, but I do see that written um, quite a yes. lot as well. Um, so that's probably one to definitely keep an eye out for. That's but, annoying you know, when one. you said we were going to discuss verb mistakes, yes, um, I thought we were going to talk about things like, you know, my personal verb issue yes I you know I do have the have them verb issues okay. is um <laughs> yeah. the verb to gift you oh know, yes I cannot I just can't even begin was, to describe how much yes, I dislike it that. was gifted to me I just yeah and I, it's it's very much something that's become a thing and it's yes. a real thing in the blogosphere of course because you yes. know, they will actually hashtag gifted and things yep. like that um but it annoys me so much and and this but this is I I guess this is what one of the things you know we talk about occasionally and it's that it's the it's the change it's the changing living nature of language like a few years ago 10 years ago the verb to gift wouldn't have even been a thing but now it's common usage and it'll be it's probably I'm sure it's in the Macquarie like you know they've put a few other things in there we've discussed in the past but it's it's you know it's become it's become part of the language and it shouldn't annoy me anymore. I should be over <laughs> it. But it's so corporate. It just sounds – it's that corporate jargon stuff, you know. its I reckon it started there and now it's taken over the world. Oh, for sure. And it's like
2: um, – uh, one, one thing that really annoys me, probably the same amount as gifted annoys you. Mm. It's not a verb though. It's mm-hmm. when it's, and I don't, I just don't get it. It's people's usage of kilo, like as in, you know, kilograms. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for example, I totally get, I'm picking up a 10 kilo kettlebell, but what I don't get is, oh yeah, he lost 10 kilo. It's no, oh, it's a 10 kilos, not 10 kilo. You know, oh. and they say, "Yeah, yeah, he's about a hundred kilo." No, he's not a hundred kilo. He's a
0: hundred kilos. Is this a math maths thing? Is this a US thing? You know, oh. they talk about math, and we talk about maths. Oh, heaps of people in Australia say say use it in that way. No, but I'm just wondering if it's if it's a thing that's come. Is oh. it a US thing that's kind of just drifted in that we haven't you know without us noticing, Valerie? And now here it is, like Maybe. a math, maths thing. Maybe. Because that math thing is, you know, it's a very much a US thing. It and I like is. an S. I like an S on my maths. I, and
2: do. I, I, Me too. And I'm hearing an increasing number of Australians say, you do the math. It's like,
0: no. You know, <laughs> I won't. I refuse. Yeah, you exactly. can't make me. <laughs> oh, anyway, let us move um, on. Let us. We're, if we're on to maths, we definitely need to move <laughs> on because, you know, numbers are not my thing.
2: So... Uh, we have a giveaway this week, and Ooh. you may remember that uh, last year we interviewed Tony Cavanaugh for his book Kingdom of the Strong, and which uh, is published by Hachette H- Australia, and he has been a screenwriter for 30 years, but he also has a popular series of novels centering on Darian Richards, an ex-cop turned vigilante and kingdom of the strong is the fourth in the series but you can read it as a standalone book so we have this book to give away and if you want to win a copy go to writerscenter.com.au slash win and if you happen to be listening to this podcast in the future don't worry just go to that url and you'll find another book to win
1: This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. If you're serious about completing your own novel manuscript, immerse yourself in our inspiring and motivational six-month program, Write Your Novel. Filled with weekly workshopping and practical lessons, you'll receive advice on structure, dialogue and balance, as well as tips on publishing. The online program fits around your schedule,
0: and you'll enjoy personal feedback each week from your tutor. Find out more at writerscenter.com.au slash novelwriting.
2: So let us move on now to uh, someone has suggested to us a writing book called oh, yeah. The Th- Thing, called Thing Explainer by Randall Munro. And what he's yeah. done is he's actually explained how words like microwave have come about or data centers, or the solar system, or mm. tectonic plates, you know, just little things that, that are just sort of like normal words these days, but um, how did their words come about? And, and not how, just how the words came about, but what exactly, the, the, the simple explanations of them, because, you know, how could you explain tectonic plates, right, mm. or data center? So what mm-hmm. he's done is very, very simple explanations of certain things, Hmm, well, oh, there you go. Sounds good. And Who sent us that? Linton. Linton, yes, and thank you, Linton. Uh, we haven't read it yet, but uh, you know, thank you for bringing it to us. Sounds like your
0: kind of book, Val. Really. It does. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Thing explainer. If anybody needs a thing explainer, it's you. I reckon. <laughs> and even better if it's in Latin.
2: Yes, even better. Data recenteris. Platus tectonicus. Oh, I'm sure. It.
0: Yeah. gluteus
2: maximus that's exactly. all I have to say to that <laughs> I've got a sore gluteus maximus at the moment but oh, anyway thanks for
0: sharing. why <laughs> so am right. I allowed to ask why is no that, I don't is know like a, why no. have I'm you just, been boxing or cage fighting or something I
2: have and there I will go. be doing some more of that today but anyway let's move on to the world of blogging what have you got for us?
0: Well, I thought um, I have recently written a post where I have shared my top 10 posts about blogging. So I thought <laughs> that uh, I would put the link to that in the show notes because it's quite an interesting thing. You know, I've been blogging. So this Saturday, this mm. very Saturday, mm. is my six-year blogging anniversary. Oh, my my really? So I have been on my blog, which of course started out as Life in a Pink Fibro yes. and has morphed into Alice and Tate's blog because that's how things roll. Yes. Um I uh, for blogging for six years. And uh, so this is actually a collation of my top ten posts about blogging. The the most popular ah. posts. On my website about blogging, and the interesting thing about this is because I kind of do this every once in a while, and it's it's an interesting thing because um, they obviously change, and I've noticed over the last year or two that a lot of the stuff, um, a lot of my most popular uh, posts about blogging are author blog posts. Ah, so yes. for example, I have one about social, uh, I have a series called social media for writers. And the first one that I did on that was about blogging. And that's one of my most popular posts. Um, then I have, uh, you know, my top, sort of favorite my a few of my favorite author blogs that's a very Mm. popular post people you know obviously looking to see what other people are doing um what to blog about is always a very popular yes (laughs) a very popular post um but there's a yeah so there's a list uh of 10 of my most popular posts about blogging there so if you are an author blogger or you're a blogger in general and you're looking for sort of um inspiration or whatever uh have a look at that particular uh list of posts and we'll put that link in the show notes, which you can find at
2: soyouwanttobeawriter.com.au to make it easy for you. Yes, very easy. But let's move on to our interview, our writer in residence this week.
0: Oh, who have you got for us? Yes.
2: I had a chat with Holly Seddon and Holly is uh, in the UK and she's actually a journalist and a freelance writer who's been published in, you know, national newspapers and magazines and all of that sort of thing. But what she's also done is released her debut novel, which is Try Not to Breathe. And it's a psychological thriller Mm -hmm. uh, and in the, in the, in our chat you'll find out what it's about but it's absolutely fascinating and how she came upon the idea is also quite fascinating uh and she is not only a debut novelist she is a mother of four so (laughs) how she finds the time is quite quite amazing but she's managed to do it so here we go here's our chat with holly seddon holly thanks for joining us today my pleasure. Now, for readers who haven't read your book yet, can you tell us what it's about?
1: Yes, certainly. So, the uh, the basic premise is that a girl um, back in 1995, a teenage girl called Amy, was brutally attacked and left for dead. Um, but she didn't die. Instead, she slipped into a coma and remained in a ve- uh, per- persistent vegetative state. Mm-hmm. Um, for 15 years, until um, a journalist called Alex Dale, who is doing a a feature uh, article on persistent vegetative state and a doctor who's treating uh, patients with that condition, Mm -hmm. and she stumbles upon Amy. Um, Both the women are the same age. Um, Alex has her own demons and has had her own challenges, but she becomes quite obsessed with... um, Amy's situation and the fact that everybody in Amy's life has moved on, as they would. Um, nobody has been caught for the attack. Mm. And Alex being a journalist, uh, it, it, it awakens something in her where she feels that she has to finally solve the crime. But along the way, um, she finds a reason to carry on going herself and, and uh, um, potentially a way to pull her out of her own um quite dire situation.
2: Now this is such a great premise for a book how in the world did this (laughs) idea come into your head?
1: (laughs) Okay it's the most British thing ever I was cooking a roast dinner oh (laughs) my goodness and I was listening to Radio 4 and um, Radio 4 is a a spoken word um, a radio station in the UK Mm -hmm. and I was Doing my roast potatoes and <laughs> listening to a health program, which wouldn't normally interest me, to be completely mm-hmm. honest with you. And I was half listening, and it was about persistent vegetative states. Right. And the more I listened in the background, the more kind of started to sink in, and I started to think about my God, those those people in that situation are in that situation for years, and all the while there's no. Um, I mean, it's a it's a bad prognosis. They probably won't wake up and be mm. cured and live the life that they previously lived, but, but they're still there. They're not... They haven't died, and their family can't mourn them in the sort of traditional way and then move on. Everybody's stuck in limbo. And one of the experts who was being interviewed for the radio show described it as a living death. Mm. And I just could not shake that phrase. And... I, in fact, that was a working title, which is, I don't think, a very good title, right. but that was the phrase. Um, it sounds a bit hammer horror, but that was the phrase that stayed in my head the whole time when I was thinking about, firstly, Amy's condition, but also mm-hmm. Alex's. Alex is a, uh, a, she's a functioning alcoholic, and right. much more of the alcoholic than functioning. She finds <laughs> um, she finds coping strategies, but they are unhealthy coping strategies. There, It's a case of just getting... Through the day, it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not that she's thriving and on the, on the side as an alcoholic. It's very much the other way around. Um, mm. So that phrase, "a living death," is a theme through the whole mm. of the book, and that's what. So that's what started it. My very British radio experience, but I couldn't <laughs> stop thinking about what would put somebody into that situation, yes. and how everybody in their lives would cope or not cope with it and I mean I, I've always loved suspense and mystery and I'm never going to have written something really fluffy where she wakes up and everything's fantastic and she has a romance <laughs> so it was always going to be how did she get there what dark situations put yes. her there but also um a little bit of redemption for I don't, know, it's obviously I don't want to give everything away but no. a little bit of redemption for everybody who is trapped in that situation that it's not always um there's a phrase that my friend's mum used to use and it really sticks with me and it's horrible English but that nothing is unget out of <laughs> a bull. And <laughs> so I'd say that that's another slight theme for the book as well, So Was it that's, nothing that's
2: is nothing is what was Un- that unget out of a bull? Unget out of a bull. Okay, great. Now, <laughs> that's are a real you word. I love it. Are you a reader of psychological thrillers and you know and crime and you know that, that sort of genre? Yes,
1: I am, unless I'm currently writing. So I love—I mean, I feast on dark stories, and I right. always have since I was tiny. But when I'm actually in the middle of writing a manuscript, I'm really—I firstly, I can't um, take much in because all I'm thinking about is my world that I'm writing about. Yeah. Um, and secondly, I've always been really paranoid about basically taking on board somebody else's writing style Mm. or somebody else's twist too much and basically aping it and and Mm. sort of doing bad bad karaoke so as much as I love those books I fall really really behind Mm -hmm. with that genre when I'm writing and it drives me crazy because everyone's talking about these amazing books people are talking at the moment about um a book called the widow that's that's uh, due to come out next week I'm desperate to read that um but I'm not going to because I'm writing something else, so yeah. I need to stay from all
2: the spoilers. So I want to come back to the book in a minute, uh, but let's just backtrack and tell me when did you know that you wanted to be a writer? Because you you wanted to, you, you you kind of started very early in terms of journalism and, and, mm. and reviewing and stuff like that. When did you know? Were you were young, or does it
1: stri- yeah. after school, or when? I. I cannot remember a time when I didn't know. And really? genuinely. Yeah, I used to write stories. As soon as I could write, I wrote little stories. I made little books. I mean, I was very arrogant because at the age of four, I would distribute these books to anyone <laughs> and, and thought that they would definitely want them and that they were really valid, you know, published books. Um, <laughs> so always, it's always been something that I've just, I've just done. I've just, I mean, I'm sure I'm not the first person to say that. I'm just compelled to do it. So even when... I had no um, obvious prospects to to do it. I don't come from a you know a writerly family and i didn't I didn't even make it to university to study literature or anything like that. so even when I was just doing awful tele-sales jobs and had nothing on paper to suggest that I would have a book published, I was writing writing writing, and mm. writing anything that I could, but always in the background was was the fiction and i always wanted to find my path there Um, and along the way I would and again I'm probably not the first person to say this but try to find any way to inch a little bit closer so I wanted to be a fiction writer so the next step along to that was to be a journalist but I wasn't qualified for that so maybe I could be a copywriter and I wasn't quite qualified for that so I worked in marketing and to get there I worked in sales so it was always it was always a kind of desperately trying to dig my way into
2: it and it's worked
1: out really well so I'm
2: obviously so you uh you did work as a freelance writer on you know newspapers magazines websites uh all of that sort of thing so you obviously had success in that area during that time were you writing fiction on the side is, is that what was happening that was happening in your
1: spare time yeah so it it was happening, but not in a incredibly focused way. So I, um, I had children very, very young. So my first um, child was born when I was twenty-one. So mm. alongside work, there were kids yeah, right. always. So <laughs> the amount of time that I had was quite limited. And and initially, um, I mean, I think anyone who's got young children uh, who is young themselves and working will probably recognise when I say that it's just a case of getting through (laughs) one day to another. Mm. Um, So I was um, very creative, but I had very minimal uh, opportunities to to do that. And when you've got young children, it's very much a case of, okay, but I need to earn some money. So any spare time that I have was spent freelance writing rather than writing for pleasure. And, and I would do what I could. Um, When I, I think that all changed when they got a little bit, older and then I could actually start to properly buckle down but I had I had missed starts you know I would start a novel with a great idea mm, um, yeah. but I wouldn't plan it so I would get um, 30,000 words in and realize I painted myself into a corner I didn't know what was going to happen it was a great exercise I don't think any of those um, missed starts were a waste because I think you 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 can only get a better to be a better writer by practicing. So I don't I don't begrudge that or, or think of it as a waste of time. But mm. I've got a lot of uh, half finished, <laughs> quarter finished manuscripts dotted around. Um, yeah, well, and it I was have... it was only really when I I had this this idea and I just couldn't shake it. And I knew I knew what happened. I had a beginning, middle, and an end. And I didn't know all the details and I didn't know all the characters, but I knew what happened. And because I had that framework, I could actually finish the thing. Um, And that was a real turning point.
2: And so you say you had a beginning, middle and end, but Mm. um, you were saying that in your previous, you know, half-written manuscripts you Mm. didn't plot, you didn't bother to plot it out. Did you have more than just a beginning, middle and end? Did you uh, plot out, you know, whole sections of it so that you you had a path to follow in this particular book?
1: I I didn't at first. I, I just had that very I had that very loose framework. So I knew who did it, <laughs> mm. and I knew I had a real sense of who Amy was. Just from the moment that I I picked on her as a character, I could just picture her. I knew I knew her. Um, Alex, not so much. Alex is the journalist. Mm. Um, I for me initially Alex was a vessel through which the story would be told. She would be the one to unearth the clues. And it was only really as I started to write that I got a sense of who she was and a few things popped in that that I really liked. So I, I started to work those in. But I would say that initially I had a very loose framework. This is how I always work, I have a very loose framework. I start to write it, get a feel for who people are, get about 10,000 words in, And then I sit down look at what I've got and start to fill in more of the detail. Mm.
0: Um,
1: So the difference was I had a beginning, middle and end. But no, I didn't have absolutely everything buttoned down because I think I'd be a bit bored writing like that. If I knew everything that was going to happen, I would would feel like I was just plodding through getting it done, I think. Yes. And so were you
2: writing this while you were doing your freelance journalism work?
1: Yes. Yes. Initially, so I, when I first managed to strong strong arm my way into journalism, I actually worked in-house and it was only after my uh, third child, I've got bags of kids, it was only after my third <laughs> child was born that I um, really seriously moved more into freelance. I'd freelanced on the side and right. um, throughout but that was more to be honest that was more mercenary I had loads of kids I was really young I needed to earn extra money Um, but it was only really there was a tipping point around then when I moved more into freelance writing and that was around the time that a couple of years after that I started to write Try Not to Breathe Um, so I was still I had one foot in that freelance world but I try not to breathe was something that I started and then I actually had to put it to one side for about a year because mm. uh, all sorts of things happening in a um, within our family and with work and all the rest of it but I couldn't forget it I just couldn't it wasn't mm. that I put it aside because I would painted myself into a corner for mm. once I begrudgingly put it to one side and never stopped thinking about it wow so when I was ready to pick it back up it really I, I whizzed through the the last half um mm. Because I was just so compelled to get everything down that I'd been thinking about in that gap, um, so it was slightly different in that respect.
2: So you have four children,
1: yes, and
2: <laughs> and a dog, a miniature yes. schnauzer, yes. and you are writing books now. Take us to when you were when you did pick it up again, or whenever yep. you were actually writing it, and what was your typical day like? Did you have a writing routine? Did you freelance in the morning and then write fiction Mm. in the afternoon? Just take us through some kind of typical day.
1: I wish that I'd been able to have a writing routine. I've got more (laughs) of one now. But it was a case of, I mean, literally, I would um, be making a cup of tea in between phone calls for work. And I would be tapping out dialogue on my phone into a note oh my um, god on oh, your phone yeah, oh gosh just any way that i could do it i my husband and i <laughs> we have a an agreement where one of us has a lion on a saturday and one of us has a lion on a sunday <laughs> so my lion every uh every weekend i would take my laptop up initially sneakily he didn't know i would take my laptop up the night before he would get up with the kids i would be in theoretically having my lion but <laughs> i would be working on the book
0: <laughs> i would get up
1: First thing in the morning, if I couldn't sleep, which I often couldn't, and I would work on it then. I would write it on notes on my phone if I was commuting in for a meeting in London. I yeah. would write it late into, into the night. <sighs> just however, I just snatched whatever bit of time that I could. Yes, it's, Now it's a lot more um, structured, and I generally write in the evening. Um, my husband works away a lot, so I have those kind of, those weird solo adult evenings where you're not quite sure what to do because you've still got the kids at home, you can't go out. So I, yes. I write in the evening now and I write at weekends and I have some part-time childcare and that time is sacrosanct, that's my writing time. I don't mm. do anything else in that time. But Try Not to Breathe, that was like a patchwork of wow. <laughs> wherever I
2: Did you have any, or I suppose now, um, the situation where you are now where it's a little bit more structured, do you Mm. have like targets like, oh, I'm going to write 500 words or 1,000 words, whatever, in in a
1: day or a week or something? I do. Um, I have a 1,000 word target a day. Oh, cool. And I I am the least organized person ever. So mm-hmm. I have to be the most organized person ever or everything falls apart. So mm. I have to structure to allow for that weakness. So rather than say, if I said that I had a monthly target or a weekly target, I would do the kid with the homework thing and it would be all done the night before. And that's not, this is too important, too precious to me to, to sort of let those, um, those personal weaknesses <laughs> affect it. So I have a very targeted 1,000 words a day. And if I haven't done that by the time it gets to 10 o'clock at night, then I have to do it then. Wow. Um, the only exception is right now trying not to breathe is um, obviously the focus. So I've rather than try to do two things at once and panic about both, I've set my current manuscript to one side just for the uh, a couple of weeks so I can focus on all the exciting promotion that I've got for for Try Not to Breathe. And so that also I've not got two competing worlds in my head and sets of characters. (laughs) Yes. Um, I need to be fully immersed in the Try Not to Breathe experience at the moment.
2: (laughs) So what are you working on now, the manuscript that you've set aside?
1: It's another thriller. It's not a sequel. Um, It's a standalone thriller. It, again, features um, female characters. They have their challenges but they're also very strong and nuanced mm. and uh, without giving too much away um, it features quite heavily um, incidents that happen in childhood that people feel that they have escaped but they haven't either they haven't escaped the danger from back then or they just mm. haven't dealt with what happened so it's following them around and affecting their behavior wow. um, and it's set in partly in Manchester, which I'm really excited about because I love that city, um, and partly in 1980s Berkshire, which is um, oh. sort of an area just outside Greater London.
2: Yes, I think I was there in the 1980s. <laughs>
1: really? <laughs> late 80s.
2: Wow. So, with um, uh, try not to breathe. There's obviously the medical condition that Mm. um, Amy is in and there's also other aspects of, you know, crime and and I don't want to give much away either. (laughs) Uh, But what kind of research did you need to do for this book?
1: So I, there were a few things that I wanted to be very accurate to Mm. and beyond that I also... Gave myself permission to use artistic license because I had to. You know, the story the story has to come first. It's a work of fiction. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to get I wanted it to feel authentic, and I also wanted to make sure that if I was um, giving uh, uh, details as fact um, mm. via the mouth of a journalist, and I wanted them to actually be quite factual. So mm. I spoke with. Um, a hospital in England that treats people in this condition, um, and they suggested, so helpful, suggested some documentaries and and articles to to look into, which I did. I read um, some books uh, written by people who'd not had persistent vegetative state, but similar, like locked-in syndrome, and and Mm. read um, about those experiences to get a, a rough understanding of what Amy might be going through while in that position.
2: Yeah. yeah. Um,
1: but one of the one of the main actual medical situations that I wanted to get right in the book is Alex's alcoholism. Mm. Um, so that was an area that I I researched equally, to be honest with you, um, because I wanted. I think a lot. There's a lot of. Um, I mean the. The alcoholic journalist is a well-worn kind of area, <laughs> especially in uh, detective novels and what have you. Um, but I didn't. Ju- I didn't want to glamorize it. I didn't want it to be. I didn't want it to be gross. I didn't want it to be. Um, I didn't want it to be judgy either. Mm. Um, mm. But I wanted it to feel authentic, and I wanted it to be a, a realistic idea of what it's actually like to live with one foot in. Alcoholism and one foot in the real world. Um, I think that in sort of popular culture, we've got quite a quite a blunt idea about alcoholism. You've got the you know the guy usually waking up in the morning and looking for his bottle of whiskey mm-hmm. and drinking the day away. And the reality is that there are so many more people. Who are just about holding it together and they maybe they've got children and maybe they're and they're female and um, and interestingly obviously the girl on the train came out just uh, this time last year with him, mm. which also has an alcoholic female narrator which I think is fantastic that it's again it's a more nuanced look at such a horrible uh, condition yeah. so I want that absolutely right and especially when when Alex is really struggling with her health as a result of it and again you not know, giving anything away but when she speaks with her family doctor I wanted him to give her advice that is the type of advice she would actually have received
2: yeah now with some writing thrillers uh well I mean writing any novels of course but in particular thrillers pacing of the story is so important mm. What did you do in relation to that? Is that something that you consciously that you were consciously aware of or is it while you were writing or did you kind of go back and then fix the pacing where it needed
1: to be yeah. fixed? I think because because it's a genre that I love, mm. um I think you mm. you kind of imbibe quite a lot of um understanding without really knowing the theory mm. just as a as a reader. Um you know that you like things to be drip-fed. You also know that you like changes of pace, so it's not all one kind of flat experience. But I, I just wrote it. You know, when I was yeah. at, doing the, the initial first draft, I just wrote it. Um, and I knew that I wanted the chapters to be short and punchy because I like chapters as a reader to be short and punchy. Yes. Um, I also know that with all the Will in the World often reading like my writing is done in snatched bits of time here and there and I think that when um when there's a short when there are short chapters that works very well for people um so I knew that but beyond that the pacing was something that really I looked at more intensely when I came to edit
2: yes so then tell us about how this got published <laughs> what was the process do you, you know yeah
1: take us from the beginning So I'm really lucky that I've got a friend um, who's also a novelist. So uh, I had watched her go through this situation. So number one, I knew that it took ages. Yes. And I also (laughs) knew that it wasn't a case of sending this manuscript direct to a publisher and then Mm. picking it straight off their desk and saying, yeah, we're (laughs) going to publish. Um, So Mm. I understood that it was a case of sending it to an agent, that agents are very much um, if I say the gatekeepers to publishers, it sounds very negative, but I think it's more that they're, they're filters. Um, they're fantastic at um, picking up potential and, and helping to um, get a novel more polished and, and pitching it to the right publishers, uh, the right editors who they know really love this, uh, this kind of thing. So I, that, was my, that was my route, As I, um, I made a list of agents who mm. had worked with—it was very important to me that they w- were willing to work with debut authors who were um, perhaps in need of not handholding, but I wanted someone who'd work on it with me, mm. um, and. People who had who had a passion for the genre and who had worked with um, authors that I admire, um, so I made a little short list. Um, I was very lucky as well that um, I a friend of a friend was an agent uh, mm-hmm. and a writer, and I got some before I started pitching. I got some feedback from him about the book, and that was fantastic. And um, made some sort of last minute changes with with his feedback in mind. But then I started to send it to my list and it's mm-hmm. I'm so lucky because um this is the only bit of luck everything else is hard work <laughs> have yes. um but I had this little short list of who I thought would just be ideal agents who I really, really really would have loved to work with um and had none of them taken it on then my list would have obviously grown and I would have <laughs> cast in it as wide as it could have gone um but the top of my list was uh, a woman called uh, Nicola Barr who um she's a fantastic agent she's used to be an editor as well so she's got that eye mm. she'd worked with uh, newcomers who wanted to get better um and she'd worked with authors that I admire uh, on similar books so I sent my three chapters and uh, my synopsis and my email introduction that I'd worked on so much um I mm-hmm. sent it to her one day. I was, I was actually at home recovering from an operation, so I was very, sore. And it was the first day that I could put my laptop on my lap and actually do much. So I sent her the, uh, the three chapters and the, the whole package. And then I thought, it's ridiculous because mm-hmm. agents spend months to get back to you. Yes. And the chances are it's a no because there's too many good books out there. You know, it's, <laughs> it's really, really hard. So then I sent it to the second name on the list. And then I thought, right, I'm going to leave it. And then tomorrow I'll send it to the next two. I mm-hmm. just tried to, <laughs> to be sensible <laughs> about it. And I shuffled into the kitchen and I made a cup of tea. Again, I'm so so English. I uh, <laughs> made a cup of tea and potted about and did the laundry or whatever. And about 45 minutes passed and I checked my phone Uh, inbox and I had a reply from Nicola Barr who was my top name on the list
2: oh my goodness
1: and she said I've just read the first two chapters and uh, I really want to know more um can you send the full manuscript so obviously I sprinted around still with the stitches (laughs) still in pain still in a nighty at 1 p.m. I sprinted around my house because I didn't know what to do the dog chasing me I just I, I was just off my head and then I kind of sat down and I composed a very serious reply. Oh, that's fantastic. Of course I was. <laughs> and then I frantically, because although I thought it was ready, the a- the actual idea of an editor reading the whole thing, uh, sorry, an a- agent reading the whole thing, um, suddenly terrified me and it suddenly wasn't ready. So I edited it all night and oh my into God. the next morning. And um, I gave up I think, about 4am and then carried on the next morning. And, Nicola actually emailed that morning to say, I'm just checking that I, ha- you know, I haven't received the full manuscript yet, which I did think was a really good sign yes. that she was keen. But then I also thought, oh, no, I've really annoyed her because I haven't sent it yet. <laughs> so anyway, that day I sent the rest. Oh. And I think it was a Thursday or a Friday. And then I stalked her on Twitter oh the God. whole weekend as if she was going to say, I'm reading the best submission ever <laughs> and I'm definitely going to get a publishing deal for it. She didn't say that because she's a professional. (laughs) Say that. So on the Monday before I was due to go back to work, I'd been off for the operation. I was in Sainsbury's uh, supermarket and I was in the milk aisle and I (laughs) I was scrolling through my phone and I got a reply from Nicholas saying I finished it. I read it this weekend, but I wanted um, my rights director to read it and. Um, I, I really like it, and I'd love to work on it with you. It does need some work, um, but can we meet for lunch? Oh, my gosh. So, wow. <laughs> and um, and she had, I mean, she's got, just got such a great eye, um, and she really helped pull it into the best possible shape. And we worked on it together for months, um, and she pitched. I mean, she really understood that... Uh, where my strengths were and where I had tried to shape it into something I thought it needed to be rather than gone naturally with the way that I wanted to write it. And that's where she was really fantastic at actually saying, no, you write your book. Um, and she helped a lot, gave me great notes, and um, we worked on it together. And then when it was finally ready, it was really unfortunate timing because it was summer, and obviously the whole of publishing is on holiday mm. um, but she didn't want to wait any longer we, we talked about it and, and decided that we would I say we but she would send it out and then it was the waiting game and um, and I was delighted um, to get an offer from Corvus which is an imprint of Atlantic who are part of the same uh, company as Alan and Unwin which mm. obviously uh, Australian listeners would, would know um, and yeah I, I, I'm so so happy that I went with them. It's, they they they. It feels like they're huge fans of the book, and they understand what I'm trying to do. And they've they've really just got it and got behind it in a how big way. Did, how, how did
2: you find out about the deal? Yeah, how, tell tell <laughs> take me through the conversation or the moment or whenever I don't know the email whatever.
1: It was actually an email. I was. Um, I was doing the school run. I was collecting my... Uh, who was a six-year-old at the time and his friend, Alex. And they were swinging on trees and they were having <laughs> a really disgusting little kid conversation about toilets and all the rest of it. And I was, again, I just... I mean, I'm always... I've got my phone in my hand always. <laughs> so I was scrolling uh, through my inbox and I got an email from Nicola saying, we have an offer. <laughs> <laughs> and I read it and it was amazing. And then I stood there like a big numb idiot and I just I didn't reply I set it back to unread because I just couldn't you set it back to what, unread and then I left and then I got in the car <laughs> <laughs> and I said to the boys um oh um somebody somebody's offered me um a, a, a publishing deal and I kind of just sat there and Alex my my um my son's friend said what does this mean you <laughs> six-year-old boy he didn't understand the publishing world (laughs) but Elliot my son had obviously heard me banging on and on and on about this and he explained and he said it means that somebody thinks mummy's book is good and that they're going to sell it in shops (laughs) and then I went oh my god wow and just broke it it burst into tears (laughs) but it's quite a while to actually understand it was too big it was everything it was everything that I'd wanted everything that I've worked for for so long such a dream. Uh, it finally happened, and I just, I just shut down. I just didn't know what to do. Uh, but luckily, there's a kid there to explain it for me. Yeah,
2: right. <laughs> I love it. I love that story. So now that you're writing the next one, uh, can you believe it?
1: <laughs> sometimes, sometimes it gets me. You know, sometimes I just stand there and I just think, oh my god, it actually, it actually happened. And funnily enough, the the, the second agent on my little list. Got back to me a few months after I first uh, sent my submission and said, um, Good luck, uh, it's really good, but it's not for us. <laughs> and so I know, I know that that's the usual experience. And yes. I'm very aware that the planets lined up. Nicola just sat down for her lunch and it popped into her inbox and it just happened to be right in front of her eyes and it and it grabbed her um so I know that as much as there's been hard work there have been these moments of serendipity and um so I do pinch myself I'm proud as well I'm incredibly proud that actually I stuck with something I think that's the often the hardest thing as a writer is you get to the middle and Mm. or, or almost the middle of the book and there's still a whole other half to write and it's hard it's it takes enormous amounts of work and enormous amounts of time and you can feel very indulgent when, you're, when you've are when you got kids or when you've got um, a career or whatever it might be mm. and you're setting aside these chunks of intense time to lose yourself in another world. Because mm. I'm, no, I'm no good to anybody when I'm writing as well. It's not like I can write and also conduct a conversation and also cook dinner and also whatever. <laughs> um, so it, it can feel very indulgent. So to have actually stayed the course and actually done it that almost is more amazing to me than what happened afterwards oh yes because
2: the moments of serendipity like that don't happen without the hard work exactly they they never would have happened so it's because of the hard work that the that the luck came into it yes Um, what would your advice be to aspiring writers who are listening to this and they hope to be in a position like you are in one day.
1: The first thing I would say is you can't get anywhere unless you finish the book. Yes, <laughs> and, um, and it's—I know that that's easier said than done. But if you really do have the idea, um, you've got—you've got to see it through. You've got to finish the thing. Be indulgent, take that time. You can find that time first thing in the morning, you can find it late at night, you can switch the TV off. That's a big one. Um, mm. just find that time. And even if that time is twenty minutes a day, yes, it will take you a really long time, but it twenty minutes a day adds up. Um, so that's my first thing is just take that, just do it. You've just got to finish the thing. And even if what you uh, left with, with that first draft is a big lumpy, kind of messy thing that needs a lot of editing that's that's fine, you've got a big lump of rock and now you can chisel it down into a sculpture just just keep going yeah. and me personally uh, setting daily targets is a big one so it's bite sized um, for me it's a thousand words a day, I'm quite a fast writer other people, maybe their target could be 500 words a day even if it's a hundred, it yes. adds up um, but that then I'm not always looking at how huge the task is. I'm actually looking at how small the task is daily. Um, so that would be my my second piece of advice. Reading, if you can read while you're writing, fantastic. I, I struggle to read the same genre, but I, I read outside of the genre while I'm writing, and it, it can help kind of clear my head a little bit. Mm. Um, and just just trust your inner confidence because it's incredibly easy to say oh well I work in a shop I'm not a writer I'm a a doctor I'm not a writer whatever it might be Mm. but if you know that you have a story and you feel compelled to get it down get it down don't let anybody else push you off that course Mm.
2: great advice so thank you so much for your time today good luck with try not to breathe a brilliant read and, thank you know, you. congratulations. <laughs> so um, on that note, thank you so much for chatting to us today. Thank you, Valerie. It's been a pleasure. There you go. There's Holly. I think that it would be so hard. I I've personally think it would be really hard to write a psychological thriller because I think I would just scare myself.
0: Yeah, I think, you've got a, uh, I think you have to tap into a part of your brain that, you know, goes places where you would not normally allow it to go, put it that Mm, way. mm, Mm. Yes. Because I I like to read them um, but I also, I'm at the point now where like you know, they have to be at a certain I, – I, some of them are too scary for me. Yes. I'm turning into a massive sook as I get older. <laughs> <That's true. laughs> I they like haven't. to read them too because the
2: story unfolds but I think – and it's easy because you're just taking along this ride. But mm. when you have to think it up yourself, you have to be constantly thinking about, you know, murder and or whatever mm. and crime and how you would – Execute how your character would execute a particular crime or a particular whatever. So mm-hmm. it's it's a weird space to be in. I think it's a. I always find it fascinating when I talk to people who write many thrillers because they live in that world a lot.
0: Yeah, it is an interesting. I, I read a I read a book on the weekend. It was um, uh, Peter Temple, of course, who is one of Australia's leading um, crime. Would you you call him a crime author, literary crime author? Um, It was a book called Truth. that won the 2010 Miles Franklin. And it was a – gosh, it was a fascinating book. It was so well done because it's as much a character study as it is a crime study, you know what I mean. And I think that that's what the best ones are because what you really – like the crime is obviously a thing, and who done it, and it's all th- you know, it's all going on. But what you're really connecting with is the character, and that's why the ones, the series that work really well, are the ones where the character, you know, you're talking about Rankin or you're talking about Bosch, or you, I mean, these are not so much psychological thrillers, but um, you, you relate. The ca- you want to read more about that character, and so you mm-hmm. will follow that character through the crimes as well. It's an yeah, it's a, it is an interesting space. I, I am fascinated by people who can do it. And yeah. did, do you remember our conversation with Michael Robotham where mm-hmm. he said that he just made the whole thing up as he went along? I, I find <laughs> that fascinating too. Like, yeah. how would you get to the end not knowing who done it? It would be.
2: I, <laughs> stress, I know. Stress but people do it's it's astounding i know and I know. if you're one of those people who are interested in you know crime and writing about crime then have a look at the course uh, how to write about murder at the australian mm. writers center which you can do it's a self-paced course it's absolutely riveting uh and if you want to check it out just go to murdercourse.com
0: Maybe i need to do that they always say you should write what you read. I love crime. I should probably look yeah, at writing something. Give it a I? go, seriously. Mm. It's, um, Why not?
2: Yeah. But let's move on to move our on. web pick or app pick for the week. This is my new favorite app. I love it. Oh, always <laughs> got a new favorite app. <laughs> it's called Notability, and you can get it on your phone and your iPad, and uh, I just got the desktop version as well uh, yesterday. Um, and uh it's i just love it because there are so many times when you know because we live in this digital world these days and i think you will relate to this al um Mm -hmm. and sometimes when you want to mark up something you know remember when we used to edit we used to mark it up with a pen (laughs) and we used to red pen things and circle things and write things in and say, no, you need to move this entire paragraph up here or you need to, particularly because you and I used to work in magazines, um, you would uh, say, no, the picture needs to be higher up or that sort of thing. Mm. And when you're working on a desktop or your iPad, it's very hard to mark things up in the same Mm. way. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just the tools are different. You just can't do it. But what Notability does is on your PDF or, or whatever document, it's you, you use a stylus and it's like you're actually marking up oh. like on paper and I've become obsessed with it and it has saved me so much time I reckon it saves me hours per week for the kind of things that I you know have to mark up for people really? as an editor yeah, absolutely hours hours wow <laughs> so it's my new favorite app I love it Okay, cool. We'll check it out. Thanks we'll put for that, the link Bello. in the show notes. It's only for Mac users, though iPhone, iPad, and and Mac. Mm-hmm. So uh, sorry, sorry. Yeah, uh, but let's move on to our working writers tip. Sarah has asked us a question. Hello, and, Sarah. Hello, Sarah. And uh, Sarah has said, hello, I'm a recent devotee of your podcast. Having subscribed at the end of November, I plan to be completely up to date by the new year. So she obviously wrote this um, before the end of last year. Um, I hope you haven't already answered this, but in regards to pitching to monthly publications, how far ahead should you send a pitch, so a pitch for a story idea, if you're aiming for something timely? For example, and she's given this example, but we can give another one that's that's um, a bit more relevant. If I wanted to write something Christmas-related for a December issue, how far in advance should I send the pitch? Thank you so much, and thank you for your helpful,
0: insightful, and inspirational podcast. Thanks, Sarah. Off you go. Um, three, th- three months, I would say. I would, if it was for a December issue, I would probably send it at the beginning of September. Yes, because I'm working on the fact that the December issue is going to probably come out halfway through November. Yes, and so then I'm working back from there. But I you? think if you're new to
2: them, I think I think three months applies. Say to you, if, if oh, or or, okay. or I, if uh, that people that they know. Okay. Um. But if you're brand new to them, uh, because they're, they're, they 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 take emails from people that they know straight away, you know what I mean? Mm. And and they – and they e- editors, I mean – and they mm. read them straight away and they decide yes or no straight away. Mm. But if you're new to a publication, uh, editor is more likely to kind of think, oh, they might need a little bit of hand-holding. They may or may not come through. So mm. I would say add another month if you're new uh, okay. to the publication. that
0: makes sense. Yeah. Um, just because
2: yeah, oh. yeah, an editor main, you know, would probably need a little bit more buffer because they – they don't. They've never worked with you before, so they're not actually sure that you're reliable. I'm sure you are, but um, it's just something to think about in terms of the, their psychology. Mm. Yes, yeah. but um, cute, yeah, and you know, some some publications may even it, the print ones may even be you know more around the four and a half month mark if you're new if you're new to them. But of course, if it's an online okay. publication, totally different. Yep. Yes, yeah. yes. If it's an online public publication, you can do it. You know, three weeks or four weeks before for something that's timely like that. Hmm.
0: I would say, right. Well, I think that sounds excellent. <laughs> Riveting
1: for you, Isabel.
0: No, no. I, I was, I was enthralled as I always am, Valerie, by every word that comes from your mouth. <laughs> Sorry. Did I sound like I was synapsing out there for a minute? I, I didn't. I wasn't. I was listening intently, of course. That's a classic. Anyway, so, come on what, now. Tell me what you're doing. What are you doing this week? Let's move on.
2: I am going to cage fighting. Well, no. Let me you're clarify. Not. I'm going to train at the cage fighting gym. I'm not actually going to fight in a cage because, you know, I'm of a certain age and one has to stop doing silly
0: things at some point. I don't know. I think we could charge for that. We could probably like, you know, just sell. (laughs) (laughs) We could. Uh, But I also need
2: to get, the other thing I need to get organized is my invoicing. Oh. Yes, you know, just for all the features and stuff that I've done, I need to get that underway. Sometimes
0: you have to have those admin days, don't you? Oh, look, I honestly, I've been looking at my desk for about the last three weeks thinking, Alison, you need to have an admin day. It is (laughs) disgraceful. It is so bad. I actually can't find anything at the moment. So I think maybe I need to have an admin day. But I'm also, do you know what I'm doing this week? I am going to the, uh, so the Children's Book Council of Australia Mm. uh, has different chapters around the country Mm. and their Illawarra chapter is having a kid's day out on Wednesday. And I am heading up to to present at that and to meet a whole bunch of other authors and I'm taking both of my boys with me and they're bringing a friend, so me and four boys under the age of 12 are heading off to the CBCA Kids Day Out at DAPTO, which will be fun. I'm actually, uh, I've been thinking about the fact that I probably need to spend some time getting my head in the game Mm. a day before because I haven't done a presentation for a few weeks now, so I, you know. I tend yes. to forget what I talk about when I when I've Will had a break. Will you be
2: wearing your cape? Alison yeah. has this cape. My there. cloak. Your yeah, cloak. Um,
0: my cloak. Uh, Describe the I, cloak. Oh, it's a beautiful um, hooded cloak, as you would expect. Uh, as a, I put up a photo of myself in it the other day on Facebook, and a friend of mine said, "Are you a hobbit?" So that should give <laughs> you some idea of what we're dealing with here. Yes. So it's a brown. It's it's a beautiful brownish kind of gray on the outside, and then the whole. Inside of it is lined with antique map fabric. Gorgeous! So it's very beautiful. Very um, map maker. Will chemicals? I wear it? I don't. I don't think so. Maybe not this time. I, I tend to save it for book week. You know yeah, that right. kind of stuff, like for dress ups. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs>
2: And the other thing I am excited about actually is your course. It's launching mid-February. I know. I'm excited. Yes, how to build an author platform. And seriously, listeners, you've got to go to writerscenter.com.au slash platform and register your interest. It's free to register your interest because if you register your interest before it is launched, you will be sent a special pre-launch offer that will never be repeated never, never be, be, repeated. be repeated so like a godfrey's vacuum ad get onto it <laughs> never
0: to be repeated special
2: uh, on now that's right i should practice my godfrey's voice no because i am excited about it and it's re- and it's true it's not going to be repeated so i need to oh, emphasize that's right. that absolutely all right that brings us to the end of our podcast this week uh what I've already asked you what you've been doing. So I Sorry, think we've, we've, just done oh. we've,
0: we've actually covered off everything, and we've been so efficient that we didn't even notice <laughs> that we've covered off everything. All right. If only I was just cleaning my desk, I wouldn't be in the trouble I'm in right now.
2: Thanks All for right. listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you next week. We do. Bye.